You're listening to Rick Kleffel, the Agony Column podcast. You can find additional reviews, interviews, print interviews, and book commentary five days a week at trashotroncom agony. If it's true that all you need is love, then a brief survey of bumper stickers suggests that many Americans have all they need. Of course, philosophers and sages, poets and scientists throughout history have explored not just the value of love, but just what this love stuff is anyway. If it's all we need, we should know what it is. We need more than the French non-definition definition je ne sais quoi or famed sex columnist Sex in the City's Carrie Bradshaw's Zaza Zoo when in search of this life force. French mathematician Blaise Pascal weighed in with his savvy insight, the heart has its reasons, of which reason is unaware. Thus, the terms madly in love, infatuated, and crazy about you often describe the lover's relationship to the beloved. Basically, while passion may not be wholly rational, it has its reasons, so stop worrying and just go with it. To avoid sounding like the desperate college boy using that day's philosophy class notes to woo a co-ed, the Stoics intercede to put out the fire of all this passion talk. The ancient Greek school of Stoicism flew the banner, follow where reason leads. For them, passion not only caused, but was literally defined as suffering, and the Stoics held that to achieve the good, one should strive more for apatheia, peace of mind free from passion. Mind you, this approach has evolved over the years, with the current Stoics seeming totally unemotional and closed off, apathetic to the rest of the world. The Stoics of yore instead sought deeper ideals couched in the four virtues, courage, justice, wisdom, temperance. They even discovered through their musings that we truly ought to love one another, as we are members of a much greater community than just our families and local village. As Socrates imparts, I am not an Athenian or a Greek, but a citizen of the world. From an evolutionary standpoint, yielding to the passions can certainly be defended. Nothing like a little evolution in biology to get one juices flowing. Various factors account for mate selection in humans. Pheromones, aka body odor, secretly provides cues to possible mates that help match immune systems that differ, thus allowing one parent to continue living in the case of the next bubonic plague. Physical symmetry also affects mate selection, at least on a subconscious level, as it seems to suggest greater health and ability to cope with varying environmental factors. Actress Kate Blanchett has earned the moniker of our species' most symmetrical face, thus providing an objective explanation for all boyhood crushes. Jack Bowen teaches philosophy and runs the <clears throat> Jack Bowen teaches philosophy and runs the Stanford Summer Philosophy Camp. He's the author of the novel The Dreamweaver. His new book is If You Can Read This: The Philosophy of Bumper Stickers. Thank you for speaking with me, Jack. Oh, thank you for having me. Well, if you can read this, thank your English teacher, as my sister-in-law, the English teacher, would say. It's very apt. I've actually even seen, if you can read this, thank your music teacher, and it's written like with notes making up all of the letters like on, um, on sheet music, but same well, genre. The, it's one of the things that, that interests me is, that you talk about is what bumper stickers, just the presence of a sticker on your bumper, regardless of the content, tells us about the driver, not anything good. Right. No, it is interesting. I don't know. I don't know about placing the value on it, but certainly the, the study that was done last year yeah, at Colorado, uh, Colorado State showed that drivers with bumper stickers of any sort, as you mentioned, tend to 
display more aggressive actions towards others, whether it's an aggressive horn honking or some aggressive gesture from the car that I'll leave to your imagination. And it was, it was regardless of whether it was a practice random acts of kindness or my child beat up your honor student, the fact that they had bumper stickers on their car led to or resulted in them being a more outspoken person, which I guess, you know, we're not surprised at once we see that. One of the things that um, bumper stickers do is they invite us to think about the occupant of the car and consider who they are as a person rather than just seeing car. And that it opens up a whole can of worms, I think. It really does. It's, that's, that's an interesting insight. And it's, it's interesting to me as well as to see what's the, what's the one cause that this person really wants to put themselves behind and fight for. And sometimes it's a very serious cause like you know, abortion or the death penalty or war. And sometimes it's a much more playful cause, you know, like skateboarding is not a crime or, you know, I'd rather be riding a sailboat or something. But just to see, you know, they've clearly gone to some effort to let everyone know that this is something they're concerned about. And it does, as you said, it really lets you into what's going on to the person driving the car instead of just seeing just another car. And, and as you point out, and, and you know, the, the point of your book is, is that these bumper stickers often bring out uh, philosophy. The, the, the each little two-line, 8.1 words, as you told me <laughs> earlier, uh, gives us uh, an insight into the person's philosophy or into some sort of philosophy that somebody thinks they might identify with. Yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. And that was really what got me going in writing this book is I realized people are doing philosophy all the time, and we don't need bumper stickers to tell us that. I mean, when we're talking about we're talking politics and we're talking about rights and duties and how we ought to distribute health care and money. We're talking philosophy. When we're talking about love and relationships, we're talking philosophy. Bumper stickers are just a really great catalyst for getting that going because a typical bumper sticker is, it's very catchy. It's got some rhetoric, often some sarcasm, but it really gets you engaged. And once you're engaged, you're really willing and excited to talk about the issues behind it. Well, uh, one of the things that, that I, I really love about this book is the way it offers you as a writer a chance to take us on an entertaining tour of philosophy itself and its many types because we think of philosophy often, we think of Plato. You mentioned Plato in your, in your uh, reading there. And, and we think of, you know, uh, guys and togas. But there's a lot of different kinds of philosophy, and it applies to a lot of different situations. Well, I'm, I'm really happy to hear you get that out of the book, because that's exactly what I, as a philosopher and as a writer of sort of pop philosophy books, am hoping to show as many people as possible, is that it's it's not this, this the, the old stodgy men in the tall tivery hours of academia. I mean, that's clearly being done in every discipline, but that philosophy is fun and it's accessible and it's relevant in our current day. And there are philosophers from many different demographics and many different ages and that we're all capable of and actually, I think, at our core philosophers. And it also suggests, I think, interestingly, that, you know, philosophy is is fun. It can be entertaining. And that in the most um, intellectually challenging and interesting philosophy is also some of the most entertaining stuff out there. Oh, I would certainly think so. Uh, you know, when you say that, it brings to mind one of the bumper stickers very early on. I mean, the first bumper sticker that really caught my eye that got me thinking about this was a bumper sticker about a serious issue about the death penalty that says... 
why do we kill people to show people that killing people is wrong? And I brought that into my class, and, and immediately the students, whether they agreed or disagreed, most agreed, but some disagreed, but they were engaged. And I said, wow, there's really something to this. And that weekend, Jessica, my wife and I, we went to a dinner party and I said, I'm gonna see if I can get people talking philosophy with another bumper sticker. And so I threw out the seemingly benign bumper sticker, which is also in the book, what if the hokey pokey is what it's all about? <laughs> and, uh, you know, clearly meant in jest, um, uh -huh. but lo and behold, for about 15 minutes, there we were talking about the meaning of life, you know, or the purpose really of life. Yeah, gosh, what if the hokey pokey is all about and, and having fun and enjoying yourself, but there's got to be something more. And we're at a dinner party doing, you know, the, the thing that you're not supposed to do, which is to talk about, you know, deep issues where everyone gets so fired up that you can't see straight. And it was really fun. And this brings to mind one of the real joys of this book is, again, to present philosophy in an engaging manner that, that it, philosophy is really fun. And one of the things that you talk about um, in the first section of the book where you're we're talking about reality is this idea of labeling in philosophy. Could you, could you talk about that? Yeah, and that's, that's one that I think uh, on face value is playful. The bumper sticker that you're referencing is don't label me. And... I think clearly, once you get deeper into it, we see that I, I see that a lot of the problems that we have are because of this natural inclination to label. And I do it. It 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 goes back to Plato, and I sort of blame Plato, which is fun for me as a philosopher <laughs> to say, "Oh, this is all all Plato's fault." And in some sense, it really is. Is that he talked about these sort of overt categories that he referred to as ideals and that you know when, when we when you have 20 different kinds of chairs the thing that's similar about them is this essence of chairness mm -hmm. and that's how we ought to group things in the world and and we know i mean the stereotypes are a great example that you can stereotype take take a single person within a stereotype and you're clearly going to miss a huge part of who they are and really their core by stereotyping them and then you know there are potential for great harms in doing that as well and so this this command to don't label me, on the one hand, we want to understand it, and, on the other hand, and it is sort of a playful thing at face value. But on the other hand, it is, there's, there's something to it that we really need to get at how it is that we're, we're navigating the world and to understand that the way we navigate isn't necessarily the way the world is. Well, that's a really interesting observation. Uh, uh, you know, and one of the things that, that interested me too about this is, and, and boy, I just realized this, that there are genres of, of bumper stickers, and you talk about the kind of genres, and it makes me think, too, that there are genres of philosophy, too, as well. And I, that's something I'd never actually considered. Yeah, that's a nice, that's a nice connection. Um, when you say genres of philosophy, I'm curious, are you talking about the, I mean, sorry, of bumper stickers, are you talking about the, like, the, the guns don't, you know, where you have, like, the 10 responses? Yeah, the, yeah, the 10 versions of guns, that, you know. Right, right. The, the I heart genre, there's a huge I heart genre. There are, you know, the ethics and, you know, the language ones and uh, politics and society. You, you have a lot of, you know, you group these kind of by genres. And, well, and of course, one of my favorites are the, uh, the UFO <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, now that's actually a really interesting insight that I guess I wasn't um, totally conscious of myself, the, the two genres coming together. And, and as you say, I mean, I think that sort of paints the broad picture that, that really allows for the, the beauty of not just the book, but of sort of philosophical thinking that mm -hmm. we're, we're not forced into the category of Western thinking. Once we realize that a huge portion of our population doesn't think and categorize the world the way that we do here in California, for example, mm -hmm. and that we can draw from different disciplines in different areas, whether it's, you know, time zones, uh, you know, back in the ancient 
ancient times versus now or, or different geographical areas and really create like a, a much more open-minded sort of worldview, much in line uh, with what Bertrand Russell um, called sort of becoming a, a citizen of the world. And that was one of the real virtues of doing philosophy that he, that he mentions. Now, uh, as you go through these, um, when talk about collecting these uh, kind of bumper stickers, how did did you do this? Take pictures or go to stores? How did you find them? Yeah, that was that was really part of the fun. And you know, whenever I was my my hands or head hurt so much from writing, a, a great break from that was to go out. Jessica and I would go out and actually come to Santa Cruz or Berkeley, which are great excuses to take an hour drive and, and get to a new place and literally sit on the corner or walk around. I mean, those are like meccas for really good, thoughtful bumper stickers. <laughs> but also, and I guess um, this feels a little sterile, but I did use the internet because I didn't just want to get bumper stickers from where I lived. I mean, philosophy mm -hmm. is meant to be uh, this sort of universal approach, and it's not meant to be just the views of some person, you know, sitting in Northern California. So I really wanted to get to, you know, the heart of America and the, and the coasts and North and South and, and draw. So I did um, utilize the, there are a lot of really great online websites that feature different bumper stickers. Now, one of the things that, that interested me about this is the way that sometimes a bumper sticker may seem to um, indicate one philosophical slant, but when you start analyzing the philosophy behind it, it's something that comes up uh, makes you think about very different thoughts than maybe what are intended. So, so talk about some of those kind of uh, bumper stickers where they they some they almost uh, accidentally invert their own message. Oh, let's see. Um, well, one uh, now I'm I'm trying to um, file through the mental rolodex. Um, <laughs> re let's see. Religion is what keeps the poor from murdering the rich, and I can remember, I can, th I can think of the paragraph in the book where I understand that the the person who has the sticker is clearly trying to attack religion, um, and and they do it on a real sort of empty footing. Like that's that's not what religion is. It turns out that the religious actually aren't quote unquote better than the non-religious. Um, on, on any way of judging it. And so the, the whole thing sort of falls apart once you take any time to look into it. Um, <clears throat> the other one I thought, that that's one answer. And as you were talking, it got me to thinking of, of some of the bumper stickers that I wrote that I had a lot of fun writing where I would take what the bumper sticker says. The, the one that jumps out to me is, is KISS, K-I-S-S, mm -hmm. Keep It Simple Stupid. Mm -hmm. And it was a great opportunity for me to write about Occam's razor and the principle of parsimony, which is that right, when two competing theories provide equal explanatory value, we ought to take the simpler of the two. Now, this person who stuck the sticker on their car clearly isn't supporting the 15th century Franciscan friar, William of Occam, but it gave me a great opportunity to use that and to talk about simplicity mm -hmm. and Newton's idea that you know nature is pleased with simplicity, to quote him, and, and to plug that into sort of a much bigger picture. And I love the Einstein quote that came out of that, that uh, everything should be as simple as possible, but not simpler. Not simpler. It's beautiful. <laughs> I mean, he knew what he was doing. Yeah, I, I love the way that you uh, start use these as springboards for for to talk about the kind of philosophies that they imply, and and so um, as you were going through this um, uh, exercise of of looking at all these uh, bumper stickers. 
Um, did you discover new philosophers and philosophies yourself? I mean, you're well, clearly well read. Did, did this like lead you down avenues you didn't expect? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that was part of the fun for me is really trying to do justice to the uh, to the different arguments and the way that um, that people were were framing things differently than I myself had or or was at the time and different than just what I'd been reading you know over the past 10 years so I mean that's one of the the joys of writing a book is that it it forces you to really I mean each of these entries is about two pages but I was doing you know 10 pages of research and writing so that I could really own the subject and what was going on and then write from a much sort of freer uh, place to really write concisely and, and get all those ideas together. This is this is a really superbly well-written book. I really like the the prose and the, and the way you uh, boil these arguments down. You know that it's it's kind of amazing. Um, talk a little bit about. Um, sequencing this because the sequence when we read it it's like anything else you see A through Z and you think oh it's always been A through Z mm. but um, the, the sequence of this book I think is really effective and uh, it, it uh, offers us that kind of panoramic glimpse at the history of philosophy. Well, I'm really happy to hear you say that. And you, you might be somewhat surprised at the answer, but um, I'll, I'll sort of explain it to you. The answer is that the book was written with no sequence in mind. I think I'm in, in, a, in a really unique case as an author where I wrote a book and then said, hmm, like, I wonder if it should have chapters, what chap what the chapters would be, what they would be about. I mean, it's sort of, it's hard to imagine how this could happen with any other book. But what I did is I really wanted to, I, A, I wanted to focus on the big bumper stickers and make sure that I hadn't left any of the important ones out. You know, mm -hmm. practice random acts of kindness, coexist, uh, visualize world peace, like all the ones that everyone knows. Um, so I, I needed to attend to those. I also wanted to get to a lot of the big issues. I had to touch on the death penalty and the meaning of life. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I also wanted to allow them to sort of come to me. I mean, I wrote about, I defended the, the, the virtues of the bumper sticker, reading is sexy. That is not something I went, you know, thought I was going to be even touching on, talking about the philosophy of sexiness in this book. But lo and behold, Jessica was out, you know, driving one day and, and texted me, reading is sexy. And I, and I texted back like, yeah, baby, I know. And she's like, no, no, it's the bumper sticker. I just saw it. And I said, oh my gosh. And I had so much fun writing that. And so at the end of that whole process, I had this, all of these entries, and I said these need to be organized for the for the reader. The reader doesn't have the bird's eye view that I do as the author, and so they sort of naturally fell into place really nicely um, into these categories. And then, much in the same way that I think like a musician puts songs on an album in order to provide flow, it was very similar to what I did. That make that makes sense. It does have a kind of a a musicality. Um, I, I have to, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention your reference to one of my favorite books of philosophy that is, uh, I think, lost in, in our present day, but necessary. Is, uh, you bring up The Culture of Narcissism by Christopher Lash in the, the self um, part of the book, not surprising. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, that, that book I think has been lost and I think is really relevant today. And again, that bumper sticker um, where that, book was mentioned is the I'd rather be collection, right? I'd rather be, I think, like dating a Jersey girl or sailing, sailing or whatever they were. And it, it led me to a place that I had no idea was going. And this is actually one of the articles that has spawned off from the book, is that sort of looking at what's going on with this whole 
movement of having to basically be reporters of our own lives, that we're texting and, and tweeting and, and Facebook updating. And here we are at a, at a concert, you know, with a, clearly of a band that we like because we spent money and time to get there. And we're with our, our closest friends and they're playing this great music and, and we're filming it and texting about it and tweeting about it to people that are elsewhere. And we're, we're sort of, A, never really living in the moment. And B, we're making sure that everyone knows what I'm up to at every moment. And it's, it's, I think there are going to be some really interesting ramifications that come from this. That's a really fascinating uh, observation. I know uh, the science fiction writer uh, Rudy Rucker talks about uh, what he calls life blogging, um, where you know when and it's not too far in the f- in the future where we have, we'll just be able to record and broadcast our sensory uh, experiences. And at that point, a uh, hard disk space is going to start tape be at a premium. <laughs> but also, I think as you say, it, these. Uh, our culture encourages us to be both inside and outside of ourselves, and that's a that's an interesting uh, observation. Yeah, that's it's a really tough thing to balance. I think th- maybe the only good that might come of it is that we're going to be able to achieve. Boy, I'm really getting science fiction on you now, and I'm thinking out loud a little bit. But this is our path to, to immortality because if we are going to be life bloggers and we're going to take seriously being reporters of our own lives. And we're going to be able to store everything on this sort of silicon brain of ours. And then in the very near future, we're going to be able to clone ourselves. So we've got the body and we've got the mind. They can live forever. There we go. And as, <sighs> and as the bumper sticker tells us, clones are people too. And well, they I, sure are. <laughs> I, <laughs> you know, interestingly enough, that was the bumper sticker that Random House, when they read the, um, the manuscript, I sent them 10 entries. And they said, we want to buy this book. We're going to go big with it. We really like clones or people too, the way that you somehow sneak in some biology in there, which usually no one wants to read about, but you're, you give us a, a small smattering of it. You sneak in a little bit of the president's bioethics council, then you frame it all in terms of what would happen if we cloned Michael Jordan and we, we just get cloning. And I said, wow, thank goodness, because that was the most fun to write. I didn't feel like a philosophy professor, and I don't think anyone wants to read a book by a philosophy professor. So thank you for allowing me to be fun and write with my own voice. I mean, it was a really great turning point for me as a writer. Now, one of the things that I think that you must have perfected, uh, you clearly have perfected, um, is this as a process of filtration. Um, you talked about having 10 pages in your uh, on your computer for every two pages we say here. See here, I think it actually may be a bigger uh, ratio than that. Uh, talk about uh, paring this down. And this book is a kind of exciting to read. Talk about keeping up the excitement level in terms of the tension of how long you're going to talk about a subject <laughs> and then what what's going to come next. I think you do that very well. Oh, I appreciate that. And I this is where I should go grab Jessica, my wife, and and have her come in because I she um, I mean this you know we I wrote this during the first year of our marriage and. She was so good at um, catering to my, as, as my first, you know, my primary editor, catering to my want to share everything with everyone, every tidbit of information, every joke, every nuance, and then to also say, but no one has the energy to keep up with that, and, and you're going to lose people if you try to force everything on them. And so once I finally got that and really owned it, then... I, I was able to do that. I got to the point where I did it naturally, and I could just sort of intuit and feel 
um, how that process ought to go. It was a really, I mean, this this book for me as a writer just absolutely rocked where I had been for the 10 years leading up to it because I really felt like um, after the, I got going in the writing process, like I, I found a, like a real honest voice. And, and from that point, after the, I guess I'll call it the, the work, after I did that work, the, the voice just flowed and I was in this really great zone for about the six months that um, the, the core of what I was writing. It, it sounds uh, kind of like a, a musical experience in many ways. Well, yeah. I mean, as I mentioned, the 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 way that I organized the, the entries was was very much falling back on the the albums that I've recorded as a musician, and I think it's just it's it's always as an artist and and as a writer. I think writers are certainly fall into that category as, of of artists that you want to make sure you're writing and performing for yourself, and that's that's what I do in this book actually much, much better than the first two. And the first two, I kind of actually hid behind characters and in my second book sort of hid behind philosophers. In this book, I'm not hiding at all. But I'm also, I do take into account the reader. So I'm not um, here just exposing myself willy-nilly. I'm, ex- I'm exposing myself and being honest as a writer, but also taking the reader into account and wanting them to sort of invite them on this journey with me. You know, um, one of my favorite bumper stickers that you talk about in here um, is uh, Jesus saves, passes to Gretzky, <laughs> Gretzky gets the score. And I think what's interesting about that is that you don't know, even necessarily know, have to know <laughs> who Jesus or Gretzky are. You right. got to get it. Right. Well, that that bumper sticker, A, I, you know, obviously is, is humorous, the play on words of to save. But um, it, it did give me, I mean, I'd actually written an, an op-ed piece a couple of years back after I think it was the 2007 Super Bowl, where I was just blown away at how many supernatural beings were thanked at the end of this football game, where <laughs> 70 human football players, including the most valuable, had just participated. And, you know, I thought, were, did I really just witness a, a whole bunch of miracles? Because I felt like I just witnessed, you know, the hard work and sweat and determination and teamwork of a group of men coming together and performing as one. And so it was a, it was a fun opportunity to, to sort of look at that and, and what, you know, how that how that plays out. Uh, and I love your your take on the conspiracy theorists, uh, I think, uh, in, in the ethics aspect here uh, especially you know global warming and red hot lies what <laughs> oh yeah boy talk about i mean a relevant that one mm-hmm. and um, then there's the capitalism and socialism bumper sticker right that i knew and that those two were both a, a, a tad risky for me only because i wanted this book as, as much as possible to be somewhat timeless um I, you know that's why i avoided talking about you know bush is the best or sucks or obama sucks or is great because i didn't mm-hmm. want the book to be about specific people in time mm-hmm. um and i knew that stuff was coming down the pike with you know this whole capitalism socialism and the healthcare debate and the global warming um but i i also felt like it, it's such an important topic and it does give us a chance to talk about like what does it mean to be an an ethical member of the earth's population like what is it? What what value mm-hmm. does the Earth have? Do species have? I mean, sp- hundreds of species go extinct every year, and we don't bat an eye. So, w- what is it about this particular species going extinct that concerns us? Is it a moral concern? Should it be, and why? And those those are real questions to ask, regardless of what the date is. Now, um, I, I also like the 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 section on language because all of these bumper stickers exist solely in language and it's you know the the fact that um 
8.1 words mm -hmm. can open up a whole can of philosophical worms when <laughs> you're driving because you don't have anything else to think about and um, is, I think, really interesting. Well, I'm happy to hear you say that. I, you know, the language chapter is cut short a little bit because I think, and, but to your point, I had to include it because it, it turns out, boy, a lot of philosophical problems and a lot of our miscommunications fall back to problems and issues in language. This goes back to that first bumper sticker we talked about, um, the don't label me and, and Plato's view of language and how language acquires meaning versus um, the, the more current Wittgenstein and, and his take, which is totally counter to Plato, how words get their meaning through this sort of public language game that we quote unquote play and, and that the words get their meaning through their use. And they're very juxtaposed theories. And it's not terribly important to me that readers understand the, the theories, but it's, I think it's important to understand the function of language, how it's not this perfect map onto reality and that we can take a step back and really frame a lot of our problems before we get in to discussing the problems and which tends to be fruitless if you haven't done the work to get there. Yeah. I was, you know, I was talking with uh, Stephen Hall last week and he talked about how Montaigne used language in his essays like a, a tool, a, a, a kind of a, a, as a scientific, as a tool of scientific analysis. Hmm. Boy, I'm actually not familiar with that, and it sounds fascinating. <laughs> And <laughs> uh, well, I, I mean, that's what these these bumper stickers do mm. is they give us a tool to take a big picture and say, okay, it's scientific reductionism. We can't we can't de decide all about life and death, but we can split it. It's life and death here, you know. And and as we split the debate, goes further down, so we can get some understanding about all of the ethics. Just again, from eight words, it'll, it right. allows us to reduce the problem into ma more manageable uh, no, concepts. Absolutely. And I think some of the, the playfulness, there's, there's a great playfulness in, mm -hmm. in bumper stickers and in, in that, like you mentioned, the, the, you have to be playful with language in order to say something in under 10 words. And you look at, but, but real work is done too. When you say like all general, all generalizations are false, mm -hmm. right? And, and the humor there is clearly that that itself is a generalization. So that's false. But if it's false, then what it says is true. So that generation is true. But as soon as it's true, then it's false. And we say, oh, my gosh, there's a flaw in language. And we say, oh, well, no. But you have to realize, you know, take language for what it is and see if almost in the Taoist sense of the term, let's get beyond the words and really, you know, see if we can um, talk about what we're really talking about. It's this, it's this sort of um, paradox that's innate in, in, in language. Well, we think the the Mebius loop is is something that just happens with a strip of paper in math. You can do the one same quick flip. Thing. Yeah, you can do that in language too. Yes, uh, and I I really loved uh, the the part about um, Eve was framed mm. because this brought up uh, some some really interesting issues. I thought. Yeah, and and that's um, I know that's a somewhat of a touchy issue because it's a religious issue, but uh, I, I'm I'm of the ilk that that. Nothing should be, I don't know, like, this seems more sort of ironic, sacred, only in the sense of, of discussing them, i.e., we should be able to talk about the potential problems with the story of Adam and Eve, and I almost enumerate them in that, in that bumper sticker entry, and, it, you know, on the one hand, it's not important to many people, but on the other hand, it is. I mean, if we're, if we're basing policy on the story of Adam and Eve as the bumper sticker that precedes that one, it was Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, Right, and we say yes. I I know that's what that story says. Therefore, we should base American policy on it, 
right? And we say, oh, let's look at what potential problems might result from that. And let's go look at this story and, and see what the problems are. It, on the flip side, there are some really great, just like the parable of Pandora's box and Icarus flying too close to the sun, there's some really great sort of truths about the human condition to be garnered from that story. But I think we need to take it for what it is. Oh, well, also, we need to remember that it exists in language. And, and there's some debate about the translation from the Hebrew. That's a great so, point. So that, um, that this uh, idea that we um, sinned and were thrown out is more, it can also be translated into the, to the perception that we were given wisdom and the tools with which to work in the real world. And, then, and that the falling out wasn't not, was not the falling out, it was the gaining of wisdom. Right, and I, um, that's, an, that's a really interesting reading. I mean, here we are. I mean, I, you and I could sit here clearly, um, given this brief discussion, and discuss this in a really interesting, relevant way for hours, I'm convinced. Um, and I guess that's the, you know, wh- one of the things I guess I would mm-hmm. disagree with in the parable is that I, I value getting that apple Mm-hmm. And you know, getting the knowledge of good and evil, um, even if it's—I mean—it sort of goes back to this whole notion of ignorance is bliss. That um, clearly, ignorance is not bliss. And granted, what we find out when we eradicate our ignorance might be less than ideal, but we—we we have knowledge, and we're living in a, in the real world. Well, ignorance is strength, according to George Orwell. Oh, right. Yes, <laughs> I was waiting for the uh, the caveat there. Uh, uh, you finish up where you talk about um, the the big questions, and we started out with that. Um, and and I like you know this idea about you know uh, life sucks and, and like like a straw. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that was fun. Because clearly, I mean that, that that's a great example to to start with because. Um, you know, straws don't suck. So first of all, there's a problem with your you, the bumper sticker um, owner. Your analogy is that straws don't do anything. They get sucked. And so life doesn't get sucked. And so already we say, oh, there's a problem with your bumper sticker. Now that's being um, somewhat ticky-tack, but um, that's sort of the fun, playful nature of it. But then we can get into this notion of whether life sucks or whether life is good. And we have to say, well, compared to what? Like, to what are you comparing life? Not being alive at all? Or, you know, there being no life anywhere, right? There's no real comparison. It's like saying, like, that's the worst 30-eyed monster I've ever seen. Well, it's the only one you've ever seen. So I, I think once you actually realize that, and this is a little bit, has a little bit, I've now realized in talking through it with you, of an existentialist slant to it, that, wow, I, I get to determine whether or not life sucks, uh, it's actually in my power to determine if life in general sucks and, and more specifically and probably importantly to me, the bumper sticker owner, my life. Um, and, and I think once you realize that, it's somewhat empowering, albeit maybe somewhat scary. As are all these bumper stickers because we not all know that the person who says – you probably don't want to pass the person who, <laughs> who has uh, 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 the one of the many uh, – spins on the gun bumper stickers on the back of their car, especially if they've got, if it's accompanied by a gun rack. Yes. Yeah. The honk again, I'm reloading and we just let them cut us off and we wave and we move on with our sucky life. Right. (laughs) I love that you framed that whole conversation just in a series of bumper stickers. How long did it take you to collect all those? Um, I guess that was one, you know, within my, with my, within my main document, I myself had subcategories. So actually, now that you mention it, I was categorizing early just for my own, so I didn't have just this random list of 3,000 bumper stickers. And I just had an entry on guns. And you know, as I was going, I would see a gun sticker that I hadn't saw. You know, guns, it starts out with, like, guns don't 
kill people, people do, and then bullets do, drivers with cell phones do, then there's a twist, guns don't kill people, guns kill dinner. It's like this, oh, oh, wow, they're using it differently there. And then it all comes back after, there's probably five or six more I'm leaving out, to actually, no, guns actually do kill people, right? And um, so I just, it was over two years of collecting bumper stickers, I ended up with probably 20 about guns and about 10 of them fit really nicely as if these people were sitting in a room having a conversation. And, and so the total number of bumper stickers you collected is? I, I really, um, I'm happy to say I didn't sit and count them. About, uh, I'd say it's a little over 2,000. That's a lot. I've been speaking with Jack Bowen. His new book is If You Can Read This, The Philosophy of Bumper Stickers. Thank you for joining me, Jack. Thanks. That was really fun. You're listening to Rick Kleffel, the Agony Column podcast. You can find additional reviews, interviews, print interviews, and book commentary five days a week at trashotroncom agony.